My friends, we are in the midst of the culture war, and you need to speak up, you need to find the truth, you need to tell you what you need to say what you believe in. You have a duty to make society a better place. That is your fundamental duty upon this earth. Look, I, I really do believe that we are within the midst of the culture war, and there is a lot of bad things going on, despite the fact the world is so great, and despite the fact we've had a 98% reduction within climate-related deaths in which nobody wants to speak about, despite the fact we have had amazing population growth, despite the fact we have had amazing income growth, thanks to capitalism, thanks to the Enlightenment period, thanks to these fundamental values and principles in which we rooted within rationality and science. What I'm saying is that society is great holistically, but there are some areas of society which are increasingly concerning in recent time, namely fascism, namely the inability to, f to speak freely. And this is why politics is so important, because you must speak properly. You must formulate the truth, and therefore you must make society better through progression. So whilst society is great, in many regards there are big issues when it comes to fascism when it comes to the university setting in which people cannot speak freely which you're kicked out of university specifically within the united states for having so-called controversial opinions which surprisingly are mostly upon the conservative side of the political spectrum so basically you have one big bubble in terms of opinions one big echo chamber which obviously is very very bad so today i wanted to check out some clips from ben shapiro Ben Shapiro calling people out to their face, savagely, or something along those lines. And I'm going to add my commentary too, but we have a lot in store. Transgenderism debates Ben Shapiro totally schooling young children. Young, strange, university students, college students who believe that they are incredibly intelligent, but in reality, they have a very, very silly, silly argument. We also have some topics in relation to slavery, the socialistic principles of Marxism, socialism, a few things along those lines. If you do enjoy it, check out dantons.com to watch the full show, or you can watch us on Rumble for free speech and no censorship. Thanks, YouTube. And also, you can check us out on Twitter and YouTube, too. Thank you, and let's check out some of these clips. Like, as a woman and somebody going into the healthcare field, I personally don't... It's on your opinion on abortion. Um, I personally don't think that, like, I could have an abortion just because morally I feel like for myself it wouldn't be the right choice. Um, but how do you defend your opinion as a white, well-off, religious man? Um, how do you defend your, ha like, telling a woman what she can do with because her body? Because evil things are so evil, even if I'm a white, well-off, religious man. And good things are so good, even if I'm a white, well-off, religious man. So the, I mean, to, this is, the, this is, this is one of these, this is one of these identity politics points that I really, uh, I'm gonna, I, I don't mean to come down harshly on you, I don't, uh, but it, it is a point that I really have serious moral qualms with. I, I think it's quite, quite terrible. The reason being that the people who were fighting against enslavement of black people were a bunch of well-off white men for the most part. Right? And those people were saying, this is a moral sin. This is a moral blot. They weren't living in the South. They didn't own plantations. They didn't live the lives of the plantation owners. They said, this is evil and we are here to stop it. Right? When you see something that you think is morally wrong happening, especially when you're talking about the taking of a human life, like, listen, I think that, uh, I think that you shouldn't go around randomly killing homeless people. I just have this view. I'm not a homeless person. Most of the people who randomly kill homeless people are probably not of my economic strata, my religious view, or my, uh, I don't know whether they're of my skin color or not. I have no idea what the, what the actual sociological breakdown of homeless killer serial murderers is. But, uh, but I would suggest that my identity has nothing to do with what is right or wrong. And this is what Western civilization used to be about. Western civilization used to be about the idea that, yes, I'm not a woman in the healthcare field, 
But you and I can have a conversation about what's right and wrong because this is the nature of human reason. The nature of human reason, the nature of right and wrong, is that you and I can talk about what's right and wrong and that I don't retreat into my identity. If we can all retreat into our identity and our morality is now centered around that identity, morality doesn't exist at all. We break down into a society of fragmented atoms where I can't even say, like, you're torturing a puppy in your backyard. I have nothing to say about that. I'm not a white woman who's in the healthcare field. I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't, I, I refuse to surrender the idea that I can have a moral stance on issues that are of concern to society and of concern to the, to the well-being of the United States simply because of the color of my skin or the nature of my genitalia. And honestly, I believe any of you that feels differently is sexist, racist, and bigoted. This really, uh, with all respect to this young girl, but this shows the fact that the university system, the collegiate system, the college system in the US, as I believe you Westerners call it, the, 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 the college system of education is such an echo chamber within today's day and age in which people just don't have debates and discussions in relation to their ideas and therefore they go throughout university without really being criticised or critiqued upon certain issues in consideration of this supposed notion that we can't speak freely because we have to be careful about not harming people. And if we just have a stupid argument like this, it's like... And by the way, this is what the so-called decolonizers of today's age never want to mention the fact that the British colonial empire, the slave trade, was abolished by the Brits. It was abolished by the white men within the second half of the colonial period in consideration of the developments and the innovations within a moral sense, namely the Enlightenment period, namely the rise of Christianity. This notion that man was created in the image of God, that became far more popularized during the second half of the British empire in consideration of these innovations within a philosophical moral sense. Hence why we saw the conspicuous abolition of slavery during the second half of the British Empire, in which nobody wants to speak about. The Enlightenment period led and Christian values were really fundamental regarding the end of the immoral practices of slavery, which by the way, just if you're wondering, has been ubiquitous across civilization. It's been literally a fundamental point, unfortunately, in which has occurred throughout every civilization throughout every kind of nation, for every people, including whites, by the way, which we can discuss later on. But just before we get to that, Ben stated that it is really important to speak out when you believe something wrong is occurring. And this I cannot overemphasize more within today's day and age. We live in a great time within human history. There is no getting around this. However, the truth remains that there are many immoral things in which are occurring on a day-to-day -day basis, including the transitioning of a two-year-old child in the name of inclusivity by those who supposedly are against corporatism, namely the left, but yet they fail to recognize that Big Pharma is raking in tens of billions of dollars from pharmaceutical drugs in which are going towards these two-year-old children. There are other things, specifically what is most concerning to me is the attack upon free speech, in which nobody too is speaking about either these days. You have a moral imperative to speak out and to try and find the truth. I'm reading Steven Pinker's book now on the Enlightenment period, and he notes that individuals are pretty much very irrational alone. However, when we are within groups, we come to truth via conjectures, debate, discussion, and criticism. This leads us towards progression, in which, as we can see, since the Enlightenment period has just been exponential beyond belief. The point that I'm making is that you have a moral imperative to speak out and find the truth. Otherwise, as we can see over the otherwise, as you can see over the events over the past few years, one descends into a tyranny a totalitarian type mess, specifically within the digital space in which we now are within, or at least partially, 
thanks to Elon Musk buying Twitter, the censorship industrial complex, which I think was most evident within the case of Twitter, in which Twitter silenced people who had differing opinions in relation to the COVID-19 narrative in relation to the efficacy of certain policies that were implemented at that time. It is a true disgrace, and I don't know how more people are not concerned in regards to these censorship tactics that are still being used today on platforms such as YouTube. I believe this is a form of what I call intellectual fascism. Another issue with the university setting, which I touched upon briefly, was the fact that there is an inability to have free speech and debate. And this is literally at the foundation of society. In order to have a flourishing society, I believe one of the key values is free speech, discussion, criticism. This is what we do as a society. The scientific revolution was basically a revolution of ignorance. And as I like to say, it was, a, it was really an acknowledgement of ignorance. Instead of reliance upon mysticism or ideological dogma, the use of reason was upheld in order to make society better. We created social rules, let's say, namely the ability for criticism, free speech. And this was basically rooted within the necessity to progress as a society. So we created these social rules, criticism, free speech, the ability to have free thought and therefore come to truth to together collectively. But this is under attack, and this is what I'm saying. It is the most important time ever to speak up, to speak out, because a, a, a lot of bad things are happening. You have a duty to speak, to find truth, to progress society forward. And if you don't, the consequences, I believe, look something like what we saw within the Soviet Union or autocratic states around the world, a descendants into a totalitarian mess in which one can't speak their opinion or they can't go against the conventional narrative as imposed by a dictator, let's say. Own a pencil factory, I'm a worker in that pencil factory. You can have all the machinery, all, you can buy all the raw materials you want, but without me, and presumably many others like me, to assemble the pencils, all you would have is a pile of wood, yellow paint, graphite, rubber, and aluminum. Okay. That would be worth it. So, and that is worth less than the pencil when you try and sell it. And yet, all of that value added by labor apart from the wages that you give me, which if we're being honest, there is a major power imbalance in our ability to negotiate that. If, if, all, you, if all that putting the pencil together requires is basic use of your prefrontal cortex, then yes, your labor is alienable at lower rates than if you are a doctor. That's not the fault of the person who owns the machinery. But if, all, but, if the, but if you didn't have workers like me and your pencil factory and you were just one man- But I so do, I have millions of people who are willing to do that voluntarily for me. If you're just one person trying to ass like assemble pencils, you're not going to get very far. You need workers. Capital needs labor infinitely more than labor needs capital. That's why you have worker cooperatives where the workers I are I fundamentally the ones disagree on the distinction between capital and labor. Capital is just a term for money. If you're talking about money, money does not grow from the ground. Money only has value because it was traded for labor at one point or the products of labor. So if I take my money and I buy machinery, I have invested my labor in doing that because I didn't get the money from nowhere. Even if I got it from my parents, my parents didn't get the money from nowhere. The people who built the machines required me to trade something of value to them in order for me to obtain the machines. The people who invented the machines required people to pay them in order to get the, the patent to that machine so they could build the machine. The, the, the problem that I'm seeing in, in what you're saying is you have still failed. If, if what you're talking about is a system of voluntarism, you still have not named any area in which we disagree, and yet you're telling me that you're a socialist and I'm a free marketer. So one of us has got this wildly wrong, and I'm pretty sure it's not me. <laughs> The differentiation I draw, and I'm not alone in this, I'm not one person trying to redefine anything, the differentiation I and many others like me draw between socialism and capitalism is that under capitalism, when you as the owner of the factory 
you give me a wage. The wage could be seven twenty-five. It could be fifteen dollars. It could be whatever an hour. Right. Right. But you you give me a wage. All all the additional profit above the, uh, made from selling the pencils or whatever good you produce above what is reinvested into the company ultimately goes to you or the investors, the uh, it, those who own shares in the means of production. Right. Under socialism, those people are the workers. And the example I give, again, is cooperative enterprise. No, those are the people who are investing the risk. So if they carry the risk, then they get the benefit. The owner of the factory carries the risk, therefore he gets the benefit. The workers in the company you mentioned, if that company were to go bankrupt, they would carry the risk as well as the benefit. If the company goes bankrupt, and this guy has to pay off all of his debts, the worker may lose his job, but he's not the one who's going to incur the debt of having gone bankrupt. If you incur risk, then you are the one who pays the downside. The worker does not pay the downside. Okay, it is the investor who pays the downside, who invested in all the machinery, who sunk millions of dollars into making your labor productive. Because guess what? Your labor is without that machinery. Gunk. Nothing. You don't have a pencil to put together. You don't got the wood. You don't got the, you don't got the paint. You don't got the rubber. You don't got the metal. You got nothing. Right? You're sitting there, standing outside, twiddling your thumbs. It required somebody to invest mil Who do you think put more in? The guy who spent millions of dollars buying all the machinery, leasing the place, making sure there was a management structure, doing the LLC formation, making sure all the tax code was in compliance, or you standing outside because you can stick a piece of graphite into a piece of wood? <laughs> now we're done. I, I do aspire to think that quickly. That is just uh, very amazing. Another thing, and we're going full out on universities today, but I have to say this, as someone who is young and knows many young people, what is very clear to see is a hatred towards capitalism, in which, by the way, his, his, it's only liberated tens of billions of people out of poverty. It is continuing to do so as we speak. It's nothing big that, you know, there's no other system within the history of the world which has redistributed wealth as effectively as the capitalistic system. So it's fu quite funny that the university systems don't teach it. They don't teach the positives. It's like, it's absurd. Whilst the universities are very quick to teach Marxism and socialism, which, by the way, I'm, I'm very much an advocation for as a teaching. I think it's great to think and teach these principles and these philosophies. It's very important. However, what I'm stating is one must simultaneously uh, portray the alternative side of the spectrum and, and, and acknowledge the positive aspects of capitalism in comparison to solely focusing upon Marxism and, and, and socialism. I do think, as young people, one often has a, what I refer to as a, a messianic urge, an urge as a young person to do something big with their life, and therefore often they resort towards very low resolution arguments, as we can see within the case of Greta Blunderberg, who sails around the earth on her silly little boat, as if she's in the 18th century, her messianic urge is this notion of saving the virgin-like planet. But I do believe young people, and myself included, at a point were in advocation for principles such as high taxation and other socialistic type principles in consideration of a very low resolution argument and a very low resolution kind of acknowledgement upon these principles and philosophies. And it sounds great, right, to tax all of the billionaires. Just tax them all. What's the big deal? Yeah, it doesn't work like that. This is what really makes me laugh when it comes to kind of Elizabeth Warren talking about high taxation for Elon Musk and other billionaires. Fails to recognize is the fact that Elon Musk has not inherited all of his wealth. What she fails to recognize is the fact that Elon Musk, after he left university, took on tremendous levels of risk. He could have simply gone into a safe, secure job, but instead he took tremendous risk. He went against the social consensus. He took on the social pressure. He didn't make any money for years and was unsure as to if he'll be able to support himself. He slept in the factory for many, many years. And you're telling me that he shouldn't be rewarded in consideration of the huge societal value that he's created. Why does nobody speak of this? It's, it's really strange to me. 
article came out in regards to Bernie Sanders calling for income over $1 billion to be taxed at 100%. People can make it on $999 million, according to Bernie Sanders. In an interview with HBO Max, who's talking to Chris Wallace, the senator was questioned about his long-standing view that billionaires should not exist. You're basically saying, asked the interviewer, that once you get to $999 million, the government should confiscate the rest. And he was asked, to which Sanders responded, yes. You may disagree with me, but I think that people can survive on 999 million, he added. I think they can survive just fine. And earlier this year, he did actually respond to a question in regards to how billionaires can actually boost the economy. And he responded by stating, you can have a vibrant economy without a handful of people owning more wealth than the bottom half of American society, he said. Adding that if he had things his own way, one making a whole lot of money would have to pay a whole lot more. In taxation, I suppose he's stating. One of the best arguments against what this young kid was advocating for, and to what Bernie Sanders is advocating for, is the inefficiency of governmental organizations. For example, let me make my case clear. It doesn't make sense to me as to why one should translate tens of billions of dollars capital from a highly effective and efficient person such as Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, who is an excellent capital allocator and thus simultaneously its huge societal value. It doesn't make sense to me as to why someone like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos should transfer the capital in which they're incredibly effective and efficient within allocating and move that towards an ineffective and inefficient organization such as the government. As you can see now within the case of the Green New Deals, the so-called so solar panels and wind plans, one can see the huge level of inefficiency when it comes to the deployment of capital for these so-called initiatives. The government is spending tens of billions of dollars upon subsidies for solar and wind. However, they fail to recognize the fact that these technologies are highly ineffective and inefficient in comparison to cost-effective fossil fuels. And that is just one example of huge failure from a capital allocation front, in which makes the idea of high taxation extremely, extremely illogical, in my opinion. I think society would be far greater and better if we had just a wave of entrepreneurs who were using their capital effectively in order to create businesses in comparison to an incredibly inefficient and ineffective government who is deploying capital within very dodgy ways, as many would argue, and perhaps some argue now within the case of Ukraine. But the fundamental beauty of capitalism is the incentive structures which present, namely the fact that one is rewarded for solving issues within society. If you want to make the most money, you solve the issues that the market desires. That is the fundamental truth of capitalism, hence why we have seen huge productivity growth, hence why we have seen huge liberation out, out of poverty, hence why we have seen societal innovations at a rate in which is just unprecedented. Okay, this last clip is the lovely transgenderism debate in which supposedly those who were in advocation of women's rights and now the same people who are in advocation for the abolishment of women's rights and I believe the most misogynistic policy of all time, namely gender ideology, which basically states that a woman can arbitrarily identify as a man and most predominantly a man can arbitrarily identify as a woman in order to totally destroy her within sport or go in every bullsack out in some sort of in in some changing room it's uh, very misogynistic and i think it's very bad to be totally frank how do you say that some people don't have privilege when you basically just said that trans people aren't valid they're not a thing they're just girls pretending to be boys or boys pretending to be girls yeah. okay like, okay Oh, someone's excited, okay. It's biological, but gender is a completely different thing. Yeah. Like, 
no, gender is not disconnected from sex. So it's not completely disconnected, but it's still a cultural thing. It's still from society. It's okay. No, it is not in the mind. Okay, you're not a man if you think you're a man. And I didn't say pretending, or if I did, I shouldn't have said pretending. Let me amend. Said playing. Okay, I said a boy who thinks he's a girl. That's the usual phraseology I use. Not playing. I usually say a boy who thinks he's a girl or a girl who thinks he's a boy, which is technically what we're talking about here. As far as the actual psychological issues at play, it used to be called gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. Now they call it gender dysphoria. The idea that that sex or gender are malleable is not true. Okay, and I'm not denying your humanity if you are a transgender person. I am saying that you are not the sex to which you claim to be. You're still a human being, and you're a human being with an issue that I'm, you know, I wish you Godspeed in, in dealing with in whatever way you see fit. But if you are going to dictate to me that I'm supposed to pretend, I'm supposed to pretend that men are women and women are men, no. My answer is no. I'm not going to, I'm not going to modify basic biology because it threatens your subjective sense of what you are. Okay, but you're still saying these kids should like, not be accepted because they don't really fit into either place? They can't just like... I'm saying that the Boy Scouts have a standard. You must be a biological boy to be a Boy Scout. You have to be a boy to be a Boy Scout. That written, that In the name one. Boy Scouts. <laughs> because, because, it, because this is, because this is a, a very... Okay, for, because for all of human history, boy meant boy and girl meant girl. Boy did not mean girl and girl. And if I call you a moose, are you suddenly a moose? Okay, if I redefine our terms. No, it's a, yes, that's right. Men and women are a completely different thing. This is true. Have you ever met a man or a woman? They're completely different. It's not a thing. It's genders. It's not saying you're Okay, why is that? I don't understand. Why? Okay, let me ask you this. How, okay, I won't ask you how old. I will ask you how old you are, okay? Because you're young enough that it's probably not insulting to ask you. So, I'm 22, so I'm probably young and naive, right? No, why aren't you 60? Why aren't you 60? And why, why can't you identify as 60? Why, what, what is the problem with you identifying as 60? You're right. Age is significantly less important than gender. You can't magically change your gender. You can't magically change your sex. You can't magically change your age. Poor children, man. Seriously, they're being indoctrinated by the university system. They have no ability to critique themselves or arguments. Instead, they just cling on to these incredibly low-resolution, foolish debates and discussions. And great, they're going to be running our institutions in 10 years' time. Great, they're going to be running the world in 10 years' time. These people whom have been taught really just terrible ideologies, to, to, to be frank. By the way, this is what the left has done in recent times. They've conflated the terms gender and sex, and this is one of the greatest sins. The left is basically trying to remove this notion of sex from public life. They're totally trying to eradicate sex, and which is rooted within biology and science. Apparently now, according to the left, they're literally advocating for the fact that one can arbitrarily define himself as a woman. If you simply just state that you are a woman, then we must treat you as a society. And apparently now you are biologically a woman, which is obviously just an absurdity beyond belief. And one may question sometimes as to why this debate actually matters. And there's two principles in which I would specifically look at. Firstly, the fact that truth and science matters in order to have a flourishing and progressing society. This is the principles in which were revealed within the Enlightenment period in which it was noted that if we want to have a society in which progress is made, in which we innovate, in which we liberate people after poverty, in which we create scientific breakthroughs, then we must root this within science. And the total 
abolishment of science in consideration of this supposed view on gender ideology is incredibly dangerous. Truth matters within society, other one descends into a tyrannical mess, I believe. And secondly, I want to protect women's rights. I don't believe that it is fair for women who have been advocating for rights over the past 50 plus years. I don't believe it's fair for women to have a hairy old man who arbitrarily defines himself as a woman come into their changing room or play them within some sport game and totally destroy them in consideration of the biological advantage. That's the point that I'm making. As well as an array of other reasons, including the immoral nature of Big Pharma, in which nobody is speaking about when it comes to the billions of dollars in which they're, they're raking in, from trans transgenderism, surgery, medication, in which I believe is, 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 is immoral beyond belief, to be frank. What you really need to understand is that this terminology, namely gender, it really refers to characteristics. That is all gender is. This term gender does not exist. They're talking about personality or characteristics. Some men have characteristic traits in which are commonly more feminine. Some females have characteristic traits in which are commonly more associated with the masculine. That does not mean that we have to go around society chopping up people in consideration of the differences when it comes to characteristic traits. And by the way, the New York Post did a really good post on this, stating that they believe the gender ideology debate is a huge boost to Big Pharma, and it's a threat to parental rights, says the New York Post. I believe this is the biggest scandal in medical history, and the following article reveals this clearly. Parents across the nation, according to the New York Post, are facing threats to their children. The transgender industrial complex is here. For different but sometimes overlapping reasons, medical establishment, Big Pharma, the culture industry, and governmental agencies are leading kids to the road towards transitioning, whether parents like it or not. For the, for the private economy actors, especially the spread of gender ideology is a huge boost to their bottom line. To be sure, people who experience gender dysphoria deserve compassion and care. That is very different from enabling minors in a vulnerable state of mind to go through irreversible surgery or irreversibly altering their bodies with the supposed latest in medical and pharmaceutical science. And actually, that bit about the latest science is not quite right. Instead, the common drugs within gender-affirming therapy has long been used to chemically castrate sex offenders. Another widely used medication too is Lupron, a controversial hormone blocker. Lupron was initially developed to lower the testosterone levels in men with prostate cancer, effectively chemically castrating them. It is now used as a puberty blocker within the booming business of transitioning children. Lupron manufacturer made over $800 million on the drug alone in 2018, and other companies have joined up in this pharmaceutical pledge to keep drug prices high, was virtue signaling about diversity and inclusion. And isn't it just such a coincidence, by the way, that people who transition, specifically young children, they are placed upon medication for life. Do you understand what this means for big pharma? They're breaking in tens of billions of dollars. And this is, by the way, the left, their role. It used to be keeping dangers of corporatism to account, acknowledging the dangers when it comes to capitalism and the incentive structures in which can be aligned within the case of big pharma in which can lead towards immoral activities. Transgender people require lifelong medical support, making them ideal customers for the healthcare industry. And the well-documented phenomenon of pick and contagion, namely kids pressuring one another into thinking they're trans, and this ensures an endless supply of customers. This is literally the biggest scandal within medical history, I believe, or at least in recent years. The notion that we can transition a young child at the age of two and put this child upon surgeries and pills and medications in which are incredibly lucrative to Big Pharma is just an absurdity beyond belief. It is not inclusive to transition a child at age two. 
it is not inclusive to put a child through this surgery without their consent. It is not, it, 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 what child can consent or can understand the true implications of this? It's really just disgraceful. So anyway, that is the end. The crazy world we live in has a lot of bad things happening, but two, we do live in the best time in history. And it's important to remember that because often we can be blindsided by the negative headlines in relation to transgenderism, gender ideology, so on and so forth. But in reality, we live in the best time in medical history, but it is important to speak up, to speak the truth, to find the truth, to acknowledge the truth, to be open to different opinions, debates, and discussions in order to progress society forward. Thank you so much for watching. Check out dantons.com if you want to watch the full shows online. You can check us out on Rumble too, or you can subscribe here on YouTube. Thank you.